Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Olivia Hops. Olivia is the owner of Unbaked Bar, an online edible cookie dough shop. An autistic self-advocate from California, Olivia's mission is to help autistic adults become successful business owners. She also uses her YouTube channel to spread awareness of how autism presents differently for females. In today's conversation, we discuss Olivia finding out about her autism at age 24, possible reasons why many young females go underdiagnosed, some ways in which Olivia masked while growing up, selective mutism during meltdowns, tips for other autistic business owners, and advice for newly diagnosed autistic females. In this episode, discover what's possible when you mix your own batter. To learn more about Olivia, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now, I present you, Olivia Hops. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start with a brief introduction. Sure. My name is Olivia. I'm 26 years old. I live in San Diego, California. I own my own business and I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder two years ago in January 2020. And it was the best day of my life because my whole life I've wondered why I am the way I am, why my brain works the way it does. And I've been searching for answers to those questions. And when I was finally diagnosed, my whole life made sense. So yes, ever since then, my life's been much easier and just makes more sense now. Yeah. Well, that's great that you were able to find that out about yourself and feel some validation. Yes, absolutely. Huge validation and like a total weight lifted off my shoulders and my mom's shoulders because she always thought, you know, that she did something wrong or something as a parent. So I think she might've been even more (laughs) excited that day than I was. Mm. What are some examples of ways that you did feel validated? Like, what was it like for you growing up and how did you maybe think something was different? Could you give some of those examples? Sure. So growing up when I was really little kid, I would have lots of temper tantrums, my mom thought, over seemingly small things that didn't make sense. Like I would be playing with a toy and something would go wrong with the toy and I would just have a complete melt, what we now know was a meltdown. And I continued to have those all the way up. I mean, I still have them, but into adulthood. And I I remember one day just having meltdown over something so small, minuscule. And I was like, I don't think this is normal. I don't think other people who are in their early 20s are doing this over something that seemed kind of silly. And so getting the diagnosis and realizing that I couldn't help having meltdowns and they weren't temper tantrums. There was nothing that I could control was probably like the most validating. Mm. And another was I could never stick with something for long. I would dive into something, whether it was a job or a hobby or whatever it was, 150 million percent. And then I would get burned out really quickly. And I didn't understand. I was like, other people can go have a regular job and be in the same profession for long periods of time. And I just couldn't do that. And so 
again, when I found out that that was a trait of autism, it again made me feel like I just wasn't so weird or crazy, I guess. It was just very validating. And like another just funny example of a meltdown when I was a kid, I was at my grandparents' house for the day and I had really bad separation anxiety from my mom. So I probably already wasn't in the best of moods. (laughs) And then they were giving my sister and I some donuts and they cut the donut in half and I had a complete meltdown because I apparently didn't want half a donut. I wanted a whole donut. So it was just like silly things like that, that my mom didn't understand. I didn't understand as I got older that with the diagnosis, finally, those things made perfect sense. Mm. What made you finally decide to seek out the assessment? Did something happen? Yes. So back in, I can't even think of what, I think it was 2000. 18, my best friend all growing up, Megan, was graduating from college and she's now in med school. She's always wanted to be a doctor her whole life. And she was graduating just from like college and then applying to med school. And so I flew up to Washington State where she was graduating from to go to her graduation. And After the graduation, her family, and she had a bunch of extended family there, and I went to dinner to celebrate, and I sat across from her aunt that I didn't really know very well. I had seen her a couple times and then just kind of formally met her that earlier that day. And so at dinner, I was sharing my whole life story, which (laughs) I love to do, and I like cannot tell a short story, and I'll just give every single detailed information. I have like no boundaries or shame, which now makes sense that I'm autistic, but I didn't know that at the time. So I'm saying like, oh yeah, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression and I've done this and this and like all this stuff. And I could tell when I was saying the story that she was like kind of looking at me. I I don't know, like not weirdly, but I could tell like she was just like really like intensely listening. And so when I was done babbling, (laughs) she asked if she could ask me a question. And she said, don't get offended, but have you ever been assessed for autism? And I wasn't offended because nothing really offends me. (laughs) I was intrigued because no, nobody had ever brought that up. And at that time, I didn't even really know what autism was. The only thing I knew about it was at the time, I had a young man who was or is a year younger than me helping me work at my cookie dough business who is autistic and I'm nothing like him. And so I was just so intrigued because nobody had ever brought this up, but she said, my daughter who is five years younger than me. So she was 17, I believe at the time was just diagnosed and you remind me a lot of her. Mm. And so when I got back to my hotel room that night and it was late, I googled autism and girls and it was like I was reading about myself. It was just like check, 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 check. It was the coolest thing. And I was like, wow, this could be something. I could be onto something. And it was so hard to turn my mind off that night and go to sleep because <laughs> I needed to get up early to go to the airport the next day. And I was just like, I I couldn't sleep. I tried, but I couldn't sleep. I was so excited because something finally was making sense. And unfortunately, it took me another year and a half from that point to seek the diagnosis because when I got home, I told my therapist, my weekly talk therapist about it, and she immediately said there was no way Hmm. because I could hold a conversation with her and just very stereotypical things now hearing from so many other, especially women on the spectrum that their doctor said, oh, there's no way because like basically you seem normal because we can mask so well. And so I was so embarrassed after telling my therapist and getting that rejection. I I remember I went home and I told my boyfriend, Alex, I was like, I have to find a new therapist. I can never show my (laughs) face there again. I don't know how I could be so wrong. And 
I kind of stopped th- or I tried to stop thinking about it after that. And then my good friend, Todd, who is a sports journalist, and I used to be a sports journalist, and that's how I met him, but he's also a therapist. And so I remember a few months later, I asked him, and he again said, Oh, there's no way, because like you seem to be able to f- socialize well. And so because I know him very well, I was able to push back a little that I didn't do with my therapist. And I said, are the traits weighted? Because if I have seemingly almost every other trait of autism, minus that I can hold a conversation or socialize seemingly fine, would that mean that I'm not autistic? And he said, no, the traits aren't weighted. And so that made me excited again. And then on my 24th birthday, I was living in LA at the time. My mom and dad came to visit me and my mom and I went to breakfast and something came up about autism and I hadn't brought it up in a long time. And I go, do you think I'm autistic? And without a hesitation, she said, oh, 1000%. And so I, I was taken aback by that. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. And she had bought books kind of unbeknownst to me about girls on the spectrum. And she's like, oh, I have zero doubt that you're autistic. And so I think literally when I got home on my birthday that day, I went and looked up doctors in the area. And I think it was about a week or two after that, that I got in and was officially diagnosed. Oh, okay. Why do you think your mom didn't tell you about that, about how she was doing some research on her own? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I told her about it, I think maybe like a month or so after initially being told to look into it. And I was scared to bring it up to her because I didn't want her to get upset or offended or something. Like I was saying there was something wrong with me. And she didn't think that at all. And she was very intrigued. And she had said she was going to like look into it. But then she never really told me that she had bought books and was really looking into it. Why that is, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe she knew that because I come obsessive with things, maybe she didn't want me to become obsessed with it. But I really don't know. I've never asked her. Hmm. That's interesting. wonder if maybe she also wanted you to figure it out on your own whenever you were ready. Sure. Absolutely. Because she has always been really supportive with all that I've done. And she definitely doesn't like to push. She likes me to figure things out and do things on my own. So that absolutely could Mm. be a possibility. I'll have to ask her (laughs) later today because now I'm curious. (laughs) Yeah. So You touched a little bit on the fact that a lot of females go misdiagnosed or they're diagnosed later in life. Could you talk a little bit about why this is so common? I think it's so common for two reasons. One, because the traits of autism present themselves normally. And of course, there's exceptions, but usually they present themselves differently in girls than they do boys. And on top of that, we can mask them so well. We learn how to adapt. And because we can mimic our peers so well that we appear to be just like any other girl our age. And usually we're very intelligent. So if we're doing good in school, there's no really a reason for a teacher to be like, well, there's nothing wrong with this girl. She's a straight A student like I was. There, No teacher ever thought anything. And it's just a bad combo because our traits are presented differently. And so many medical professionals are still kind of learning how autism presents itself in females. And it seems that there's very few doctors who really understand and can see how the traits present themselves in girls and women. And so the combo of 
the doctors being uneducated, not like it's their fault or anything, but them not being quite educated enough, the symptoms presenting differently, and sometimes even less because we mask them so well. It's just a bad combo. Mm -hmm. Got it. What are some of these general differences of how autism presents itself differently for males and females? And I know that you know, there are probably a lot of nuanced gray areas and some overlap even, but what would you say are some of those really big differences? Sure. I think the main difference is that usually girls can socialize seemingly fine a lot of the times, because like I was saying, we're really good at mimicking our peers. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not sure why it seems that girls are better at doing that than our male counterparts, but we're so good at just kind of fitting in and going with the social flow. And I think it goes back to just how women are kind of in society supposed to be more social than men and we're supposed to go out and have friends and and talk and stuff like that where as it's just a stereotype, I think, in society that women are supposed to do that. So from a young age, we're kind of taught even if it's not on purpose, you know, but we're, we're taught that, oh, like my mom or my friend or whatever, they're talking, they're doing this, they're doing that. They're asking how each other is. And so you just kind of mimic that. And a lot of times girls will have scripts that will go over in our head, like, oh, make sure to ask this and this, because we usually don't like small talk because we don't understand why people do it. We rather just like get to you know, the juicy bits and the and the stuff that's important rather than doing some small talk. So I know that when I'm out and I go and see somebody, like I'm supposed to ask how they are and I'm supposed to ask, you know, what's new in their life. And I'm supposed to ask what they're doing with their life where that normally wouldn't be something that came to me. And I think males, you know, when they go and see a buddy or something, they don't usually small talk anyways. So I think that's one of the big differences. Another difference is our special interest, at least from what I've read. Like girls can be very interested in similar things. Girls our age would be interested. So like when we're growing up, we could be really interested in in animals, horses, clothes, fashion, makeup, stuff like that, which other girls our age are really interested in. But our interest in them goes way beyond. It's way more intense. It's way more obsessive. But again, because, oh, she's just playing with her dolls or her horses, that's a normal thing for a young girl to do. Whereas males, again, this is a stereotype, but often they're really interested in, you know, math or science or machines and stuff like that, where as even though that's more typical for a male, it's so stereotypical of autism that it stands out and they go, oh, well, this, this boy's really, really, really interested in trains or something. Let's get him tested for autism. Whereas girls were more interested in things that just blend right in. I see. You also mentioned masking. So what are some ways that you masked growing up or that you still mask today? Yes. So since being diagnosed, I've tried really hard to stop masking, but I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. So for me, growing up, masking looked like me mimicking people's hairstyles, makeup, clothing, because that was not something that came natural to me. And I was never really into that. And so I usually was dressed really like a guy, very tomboyish, but I knew like if I saw a classmate who had her hair a certain way or was wearing a certain piece of clothing or their makeup was done a certain way, I would copy them. Because a lot of people, I guess I should first say, think of masking as just being like what we're saying, but it goes so much deeper than that. It can be our appearance, how we talk, what we say. I even masked with my writing. I would copy other girls in my classes writing styles. And so my writing changed (laughs) almost every year growing up in school. I had a different style of writing with whatever one I thought was the best at the moment. And then with 
social things, I knew that as I was supposed to go to my friend's birthday party, even though I would have really rather died. I hated social events. I knew I was supposed to go to sleepovers or that I was supposed to invite people over for sleepovers. So even though people think masking is like literally, oh, like I'm pretending to smile or make eye contact or say certain things, which that absolutely is the case. It goes much deeper than that. And something that I also do sometimes with masking is in the past, I've gotten better at it, is I would mimic people's like accents, not on purpose. It just, whoever I was around, I would start saying phrases like they would. And I don't know who I could have possibly been around. And I don't hear it. But there's been a handful of people throughout my like teen and, and adult life that have asked if I was from the South. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and I said, yeah, from the South of California, <laughs> not, <laughs> not the actual South, because apparently they thought I had a Southern accent, which I don't hear at all. But maybe there's some words that I was copying somebody. I, I'm not sure. But yeah, those are some examples of, of how I've masked. Okay. And it's interesting that, because as you're describing some of this, I think a lot of people can relate to them. Like not just autistic people, but, you know, we talked on this podcast before about how everyone masks. Mm -hmm. Like even with the example of copying accents, I know that when I'm around my dad for long enough, he's from Tennessee. Okay. I start to get a little bit of a Southern drawl too. A little twang. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I guess what a lot of people have shared is that it's just a lot more extreme for autistic people and it's tiring and you get that burnout from having to do it so often. Yes, absolutely. Because like you were saying, absolutely everybody masks to an extent at certain times, but it seems like when you're autistic, you're masking almost all the time. And a lot of times we don't know who we really are without our masks. Mm. And when I was diagnosed, I remember kind of going through that phase of going, I I don't even know who I am because I don't know what I'm like without my masks. And I still uh, am kind of trying to figure out who I exactly am without the masks. But yeah, I think that would be the difference. Like you mentioned, it's more extreme and it's more often. I mean, there's never a time that I'm not masking unless I'm around my you know, immediate family or my boyfriend. But even a trip to the grocery store, the gas station, just seemingly like little things that people would, wouldn't think twice about. I'm thinking about how I need to act and how I need to mask and, and blend in. Mm-hmm. Could you give an example of times when you are being authentic, like with your boyfriend or your family, just so we can understand the distinction? Yeah. So with my boyfriend, I'm, you know, I don't care what he thinks about me because I know that he loves me for who I am and my family too. And it's not that I really care what people think about me because I've never been somebody who's like really obsessed with that, but I'm still, I guess I want to make sure that I'm appearing in a way that's seems normal, quote unquote, which does make it seem like I care, but it's, I, it's really, I don't care, but I'm kind of more like trying to act normal, like for their sake, almost, if that makes sense, because I want them to feel comfortable in whatever setting we're in. So if I'm out to dinner with somebody that I don't know very well, I want to make sure they're comfortable. And I kind of put my needs behind their needs and don't pay attention to my needs. If I'm very uncomfortable, that's okay, because they're comfortable. But with my family, you know, I can just say what I want, talk about my my opinions and what I really think and laugh. I love laughing. And it's not that I don't laugh all the time, but especially with my family, I'm making jokes and I'm laughing where when I'm out in public uh, or with somebody that I don't know very well, I, I tend to be more shy. And that's a very big thing with autistic girls as well as we tend to be very shy, which is again, just a very like typical thing for young girls to be often is to be shy. So that again, just makes it go under the radar because we're again, very similar with our neurotypical counterparts, but it just, like you mentioned, goes to an extreme. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
How does autism affect your everyday life today? So I'd say the biggest thing that it affects is my motivation. I struggle with burnout a lot. I struggle with burnout in my job. And so just getting up and trying to earn a living is really exhausting. And I know there are so many people that don't like their job. It's not, you know, inclusive to only autistic people, but we can really struggle with just being able to get ourselves up and out the door. And so I actually had to quit what I thought was my dream job. I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it turns out I was autistic and I didn't like the social aspects and just the executive functions that I wasn't good at and the socializing. And so I had to start my own business, which has been incredible and it's been successful and it allows me to work by myself and make a living and not have to stress about punching a clock or anything like that. But I'd say that's the biggest thing is just getting up because even with my own business, I'm now burnt out on it. It's been almost seven years since I started it and I want to move on to the next thing. And I think just anxiety as well. I'm very anxious to go out into public like ever. If I have to go leave my house, I usually want to do it in the morning because for some reason in my brain, the morning is calmer and there's less people out than like in the afternoon. I really, unless I absolutely have to, won't go out in the afternoon. And so it's like, it just like seems like seemingly small things, but they add up, I think, because when I do have to go out, I have to mask and that's exhausting. I think the the overall thing is that it's exhausting because our brain seems to be working kind of in overdrive and our brain has to think and use more energy than a neurotypical person to get through our day. And so I'm always tired. I need to take naps almost every day just to, to get through my day. So I'd say those are really the most debilitating things about my autism that I deal with on a daily basis. Okay. Do you have any supports in place to cope with the anxiety or even the meltdowns that you were talking about? Yes. So thankfully I've gotten a structure down with my business to make it as easy and least anxiety inducing as possible. So I only work three days a week and I work pretty short days. And so this allows me to be able to take a nap so that I can be refreshed and to get through my evening and get through the next day. And being able to have off time is so important. So with my business, I actually take three months off in the summer, I close and I basically take a summer vacation. And if I wasn't able to do that, I definitely wouldn't be able to continue going. It's just a very important thing for my brain to be able to just relax and not have to think about doing certain things. And I also have my boyfriend and my family who, if they know I'm having a bad day, can can make me laugh or can make sure I get my favorite food or something. So just having that support system is really good. I can, you know, tell my boyfriend, Alex, anything if I'm having a bad day or something's gone wrong and I'm feel like I'm going to have a meltdown. He can usually walk me off the edge and no one's ever been able to do that before other than him. But yeah, just being able to take breaks, sleep, (laughs) and being able to have my support system is really what allows me to get through my days. Nice. What do you like to do on your breaks when you have like an extended break in the summer, for example? I really like to do a whole lot of nothing and just (laughs) depends on what I want to be doing. I don't like to have a strict, like, I'm going to do this or that because that makes me more anxious. Like if I decide that I don't want to do it, but I love watching TV shows. I love writing. I love writing fiction. So I have written a few fiction books. So I will definitely do that in the summer when I have time. I'll write new stories. I love arts and crafts. So like making pottery or painting or stuff like that. I I love doing as well. So just really a lot of creative stuff, I'd say is what I like most. Cool. 
Yeah, and that's related to your cookie dough business, which we'll get into in a little bit. So in one of your YouTube videos, you talk about, I think it was the one about childhood traits. Uh huh. So you talked about selective mutism when having a meltdown. Could you elaborate on that? Yes. So before I was diagnosed, I would have these, what I thought were temper tantrums, which were meltdowns. I would not be able to speak. And, you know, I'd have my mom or whoever asked me what was wrong and I couldn't tell her. And it felt like the words were literally stuck in my throat. Like they were there. I wanted to say something, but it didn't come out. And so when I was doing all my research for autism and autism traits, I came across selective mutism, which is basically just what it sounds. It's sometimes we go mute and we can't talk. And a lot of times this happens in a meltdown or a shutdown because when we're going through those things, our brain is so overwhelmed and it's just focusing on the like very most important tasks. So breathing, you know, um, simple, simple things. It's not worried about talking. And so that we can lose our sense to talk and it can be really frustrating for both the person who has selective mutism and the person trying to ask what's wrong. So for me, I now don't try to fight it because that just makes it worse. Just, you know, if you're going mute, that's okay. But have a way to communicate. So I always say that even though I can't physically speak, I can text or I can email or I can write. So if, you know, you want to tell your, your loved one who may be with you during a meltdown and you need to communicate, like point at your throat. My therapist told me to do this. Point at your throat to let your loved one know you can't talk. And then if you need to communicate, have them get you a, a pen and paper or a phone or tablet or computer, whatever it is, so that you can communicate what you need to communicate. But yeah, that's basically what it is. It, it was so confusing and annoying because I didn't understand what was going on, but that's what it is. And so as still annoying as it is, there are ways to combat it by just allowing it to happen, just you know, let the person know you can't talk and then communicate in, in a written form. How long does it last? It depends. I'm sure it depends on the person as well. For me, when I'm getting up to a meltdown, I'm like on a verge of a meltdown is usually when it starts. And then when I'm going through the meltdown, it, it, it lasts however long the meltdown is. And then when I'm coming out of the meltdown, it still can kind of linger. And so it just depends on yeah how long the meltdown is. But I'd say it, it happens in all three stages, the like buildup, the during, and a little bit into the after. Mm, okay. And a meltdown can range from minutes to hours or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, it, it completely depends on the person. I've heard people say they've had meltdowns for days, actually. For me, it again, it kind of depends on the situation and like how overwhelmed my brain is. But they usually last, I'd say, maybe like 30 minutes. And even when the meltdown is over, I'm then in like recovery phase. And that can take days or weeks to recover from a meltdown because my brain is so exhausted. And I also feel like a lot of guilt and embarrassment, which is absolutely, you should not feel guilt or embarrassment. This is something I have to work on because you can't control it. I do a whole video too on tips on how to recover from a meltdown. So just briefly, like I like to watch my favorite TV shows or movies because our brains can predict what's going to happen since we know them so well. And that's very soothing and comforting to our brains. And just make sure you get a lot of rest, eat your favorite foods, listen to your favorite music, just stuff that makes you happy. And that isn't going to make you any more exhausted than you already are to allow your brain to heal. Yeah, that makes sense. What have you identified as some of your triggers that lead up to a meltdown? So the main trigger of leading up to a meltdown is usually stress for me when I know I'm running out of time to do something or I have a lot of stuff to do. I can sometimes just kind of turn off and I'm done. I can't function anymore. Rather than trying to break it down into little things, my brain will start thinking of like the big picture, like, oh my goodness, I have, you know, hundreds of orders to do where I could just be thinking like, 
we're going to make this batch of cookie dough and that's what you're going to do. And then we'll get to check it off. Um, so definitely stress. I know a lot of people, meltdowns can occur from being overstimulated. So loud noises, bright lights, things like that, certain smells, textures, and those definitely can, I'd say, help in the cause of the meltdown. I wouldn't say, I'm not sure I've ever had a meltdown solely on a sense. I say maybe when I was really little, loud noises could cause me to have meltdowns because I have really sensitive hearing. But usually now it's like the perfect storm of like being really anxious and then like hearing loud noise or smelling something that's really hard for me to stand or having, you know, a tag start rubbing me the wrong way or something on my clothing. So those are, at least from what I've heard, usually the two main things is stress. Oh, also change, like in in a routine or something that can cause me to have a meltdown. So if like, I knew like, okay, I was going to be going to my doctor appointment on this day at this time, and that changes, that can sometimes cause me to have a meltdown as well. Okay. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Oh yeah, of course. What are your strengths related to autism? Oh, that's a good one. So I'd say absolutely. It's my ability to dive into a subject and become hyper-focused on it. Anything I've ever put my mind to, I have accomplished. And I really truly mean that. The only thing that I have wanted to do that I've not accomplished is keep a plant alive. (laughs) I cannot for the (laughs) life of me keep a plant alive. But every other thing that I've wanted to do, I've been able to hyper-focus on, learn and teach myself what I needed to know and was able to accomplish it. And that's absolutely my, my like autistic superpower is being able to do that. And I love to tell people that phrase, like you can do anything you put your mind to, because I'm a firm believer in that. And, you know, I was able to get a job at the NFL network at 18 years old without ever having to go to college. And, you know, I have to remind myself that that's a really cool thing that I accomplished. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was because I was able to hyper-focus on, I'm going to become a journalist and that's that, Uh, I'm going to get it done. And so, you know, I was able to learn everything I needed to through internships and stuff and just be very hyper-focused in whatever topic I was really interested in. I also was hyper-focused on learning how to build furniture. And now I build furniture in my spare time. Not right now because wood's very expensive, but (laughs) a couple years ago I did. So, and I know I've heard from so many other autistic people who this is also their superpower, just being able to hyper-focus and get things done and really become like a master at whatever our interest is at the time. Yeah, that's really cool. So how did you go from being a journalist and building furniture to starting your own cookie dough business? Yes. So as I mentioned, I wanted to be a sports journalist, sports reporter, and I got my dream job. I, I really wanted to work at the NFL Network. I was obs- That's one of my special interests is football. And I was super obsessed with football, played football, wrote about football, did everything. Everything was related to football. And I thought that was my dream job. But when I got there, I didn't like it. And one of the reasons was because they hired too many people for the amount of work that needed to be done. And so there was a lot of downtime. And when I'm bored, I get anxious and then I get depressed. And it's like this very vicious cycle. And I couldn't understand why I hated going to work every day. And obviously now I know I'm autistic, but that was six years prior to knowing that. And so I realized that because I, like I mentioned, I need that downtime and I need those rests to be able to recharge and function properly. And again, I didn't understand at the time, but now that I do, I knew that having that, you know, nine to five was never going to work for me because it just made me too anxious. And I just couldn't handle the social interactions because it just drained my battery so fast. And so even without knowing I was autistic and really why I couldn't hold down a job, I was like, I need to be my own boss. That's the only way I think I'm going to be able to to get through life is I need to be my own boss. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My grandpa had his own business. My dad has his own business. My mom 
she doesn't have her own business, but she was a toy rep for many, many years. So she was able to have flexible hours and make her own schedule. And I grew up with a dad that could take a day off to go to Disneyland whenever he wanted and take a month off in the summer to go to Italy if he wanted. And that was another thing I didn't like about having to punch a clock. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to I have to like be in on at certain times and I can't just take a day off when I want and and really needed for my mental state. And so I decided I need to be my own boss. And then I needed to figure out what that was going to entail. And one of my special interests growing up was baking. And I had actually made a little baking business when I was 16 because I wanted a puppy and he was $900. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I started just selling to friends and family and just word of mouth. And so I thought I would try to start that up again. And I was 19 at the time. And it just, there was way too many other people trying to do the same thing in the Los Angeles market because that's where I was living at the time. It was too saturated. So then I really loved cookie dough and I was still trying my, you know, I needed to start working because my bank account was dwindling very quickly. And I was in Cold Stone Creamery and I thought, this would be a really cool idea if this was like cookie dough that you could eat and you could pick your base dough flavor and your toppings to be mixed into it. And so it just kind of stuck in my head. And I started asking people, do you like cookie dough? Would you eat cookie dough? And most people said, yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to try it. I have nothing to lose and I need to start making money. So I did all the research and got all my licenses and came up with recipes and created a website and logo and names and everything. And I launched in April, 2015 and it was slow go at first, but it ended up catching on and becoming a really big success. And it's allowed me to make a living as an autistic adult and keep my anxiety level low. And that's been just such a huge blessing because if I wasn't able to do that. And I needed to work a a regular, you know, desk job or something. I, I I don't know where I would be right now. I I think I, I would be very, very depressed and, and very anxious. So allowing myself to be my own boss and have the freedom to work when I want and how hard has been incredible. But so that's how I made that full 180 from sports to cookie dough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on finding your passion for now. So just to be clear, so it's cookie dough that's edible. Yeah. So people like to be like all cookie dough is edible and that's 100% true, but I like to call mine safe to eat because there's no egg in it. So Right. That was um, my question. Okay. <laughs> yes. There's no egg in it. So there's no risk of getting salmonella or anything. Does that stop me from eating like regular cookie dough when I'm baking actual cookies? No, <laughs> but it does allow me to sell it and ship it nationwide. <laughs> right. Right. So that's why it's called unbaked because you can just eat it straight from the packaging. Yes, it's meant to just be eaten with a spoon. It is very versatile. You can do so many different things with it. You can use it as frosting on a cupcake, a filling in a cake, make cookie dough truffles out of it, mix it into ice cream. I mean, the possibilities are really endless. The only thing you can't do with it is actually bake it. (laughs) Okay, so what would happen if you do just burn? It would melt because it's butter based. (laughs) It's butter based um, and there's no nothing to, you know, make it rise and leaven in the oven. There's no baking soda, baking powder or egg. So what does butter do when it gets hot? It just melts. So you just have a big, a big mess uh, in your oven if you tried to bake it. It's like cookie dough soup. (laughs) Yeah, cookie dough soup. Absolutely. And people have done that on accident. And so now I have big giant letters on the packaging that says do not bake (laughs) (laughs) to make sure people don't, don't get cookie dough soup. (laughs) Yep. What are some of your favorite flavors? So the most popular flavor and one of my favorite flavors is cake batter. And that's really the flavor that started it all. Because when I would go to Cold Stone Creamery, I loved the cake batter cookie dough because it tasted literally like real cake batter. And so I wanted to create a recipe that tasted basically like the cookie dough version of that. I wanted it to taste like real cake batter, like you were looking the bowl when making 
a cake. And I was able to accomplish that. And that was really what started it all was making that flavor. And that's by far the most popular flavor, one of my favorite flavors. But if I had to say my absolute favorite flavor, it would be candy cane. It's just a really yummy, like light minty flavor. And I love Mm. mint. So yeah, so I really love that. So that's only a holiday one. So every year when that comes around, I get excited. But my top three flavors would be candy cane, cake batter and peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter sounds delicious. Yes. (laughs) Oh yes. Peanut butter is really good. Peanut butter is great because it's not as sweet as the other ones. And it's just like really rich and and creamy and peanut buttery. So yeah, I always tell people, if you like peanut butter, you absolutely have to get that one. You're making me hungry now, Olivia. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's lunchtime where you are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what have you learned about yourself from running your own business? Oh, um, I think I've learned that I'm more capable than I would have thought. I've been able to successfully create a brand and just learn that I can be independent, I think, on my own. Because growing up, I I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to be by myself just from the things that I dealt with on a daily basis due to autism, not that I knew it at that point. And being able to run my own business, I think, yeah, has given me a confident confidence boost that like, hey, yeah, like this is this is awesome. I'm doing something really cool. And it's made me grow up for sure. I started it when I was 19. Um and so I've had to, you know, obviously ups and downs and I've had bad things happen and I've had to overcome those things and learn how to problem solve and get over it. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, it's made me realize that I'm capable and uh, it's, it's turned me into, to a proper adult. (laughs) Nice. Could you share one of those challenges that you've had to overcome? Sure. So, and I guess I wouldn't say this is just like a one-time challenge, but just dealing with things going wrong. So like two years ago, I think it was Christmas 2020, obviously COVID was raging and the supply chains were off. And so my usually scheduled deliveries for my packaging were not going to get here on time and people needed their Christmas orders. And I won't lie, I had a full on meltdown because I was just so busy and stressed because I had just hundreds of orders to get out. And my packaging was not going to get there. And so I had hundreds of orders to fill and I had nothing to put my dough in. And I just had a full on meltdown because I was like, "I, I can't go on. This is terrible. Everything's ruined. And after the meltdown passed, and this is the big differentiator from like when I was like a teen to now as a more mature adult is I was able to pick myself up and say, we're going to go find different packaging because at the end of the day, the customer wants what's in the packaging, not what the packaging is. And with the help of my parents, I was able to go get the packaging and then basically pull a very, very long day, like 13, 14 hour day, (laughs) getting the orders filled. And if that had happened even a few years before that with me not knowing I was autistic, I don't think I was would have been able to overcome that challenge and I could have gotten myself into a lot of trouble because I'm not sure I would have been able to fulfill those orders and get people their, their Christmas gifts and just being more mature, like I said, and then knowing that I'm autistic and knowing tools to overcome the meltdown and recover from the meltdown and get my mind right so that I could continue on was just a huge game changer because I understood what was happening, why it was happening and how to overcome that. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've had to overcome in sense of just like timing and just sheer volume of things that I had to do. There's been other like little things that have gone wrong in like a similar way or like, oh, the store is out of this ingredient or whatnot. But that was just like, I literally had one day to get these out. It was like the 20th of December. I needed to get them shipped. I needed to get them made. And I had absolutely no packaging. And I think my parents and my boyfriend, because they 
uh, of course, helped me through that. But I'm proud of myself that I was able to pull myself out of the meltdown and actually get it done. Because like I mentioned, if I had not known I was autistic and didn't know why this was happening, I would have been angry at myself and just completely lost it and not been able to pick up the pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. So any tips for other autistic adults thinking of starting their own business? Yes. So I'd say you got to just believe in yourself. Like I mentioned, you can do anything you put your mind to. And there's so many amazing resources out there on the internet to help you start your own business. And you just have to find something you're passionate about and figure out how you can turn that into a business. So I really loved eating cookie dough. (laughs) And I was like, if I like it, there's probably other people that also like it. So find something you're passionate about so that it's something that you want to do and you're not forced to do. And then, you know, Google, Hey, how do I start XYZ? What licenses do I need? What platform am I going to sell on? Is it a product or is it a service? And just kind of narrow that stuff down. So, because it can seem like such a huge daunting task. And I'd say that's obviously for anybody really easy to get overwhelmed. But when you start breaking it down, do one thing at a time and make sure you praise yourself when you accomplish something. I'm the worst at doing that. I need to take my own (laughs) advice. I'm so bad at doing that. But just to be like, if you pick a name, like be like, Hey, good job. Good name. Then go see if you can get that social media handle with that name or that URL with that name. And yeah, go go from there. Just, just keep following little steps, break it down, break it down, have like stuff you can check off because like, that's a feeling like incomparable to be able to check something (laughs) off a to-do list. So write it down, check it off. I still do that when I'm making orders, I write down my orders and I check it off um, because it just feels good. It's like a little confident boost uh, throughout the day. So yeah, I'd say believe in yourself. You can do it. It may take you a little longer or be a little harder if you're autistic, but you absolutely can do it. And there's people out there who are willing to help you. I'm one of them. I'd love to help and just allow you to also live, you know, with less anxiety and less stress and be financially independent and have a successful business. Well, that's great that you're like a model for other people to have some inspiration and know that they can do it too. What are your goals for the future? So for the future, I'd really love to keep bringing awareness to girls and females specifically on the autism spectrum because we're so underdiagnosed. And my main goal when I started my YouTube channel and I made that first video that ended up going viral was one, to help other girls in my situation where we're now into adulthood and we're wondering why we are the way we are, like what's wrong with us, quote unquote. Because I had watched other people's YouTube videos that were explaining autism and it helped me realize that I was on the spectrum and I wanted to be able to give that same like validating feeling to other women. And then the second thing is I want to bring more awareness to what autism looks like in girls so that girls can get diagnosed at a younger age. Because if I can help a girl not have to go through what I went through and so many other women went through growing up unknowingly autistic, uh, that would just be incredible because there's so, so many negative things that happened in my life that I have PTSD from because I didn't know I was autistic that if I could help another young girl not have to go through those same things and just allow her and her parents and her family and friends understand how her brain works and give her tools to basically make life easier, I will do it. And so that's really what I'd love to to do in the future is start speaking publicly, public speaking, coaching, just helping people understand their autism or help them start their own business. Just, I definitely, as awesome as making cookie dough is, I think I have a greater purpose in life than mixing cookie dough all day. And so I really want to start focusing more on that and just focus on helping other autistic people 
live out their dreams and, and live a happier and easier life. So I haven't launched it yet, but I'm getting ready to launch a course on how to start your very own edible cookie dough business. It's been such a great business for me as an autistic woman, and I think it can allow so many other autistic adults to own their own business and make a living and not have to have a dreaded regular nine to five job. And so I'm going to be launching those soon. Um, they're written courses and video courses, and I can help you through the whole process in starting your very own online edible cookie dough business. And I'd be really excited to, to help you if you wanted to do something like that. Oh, great. All right, Olivia, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other autistic females, maybe some who were just recently diagnosed and are kind of going through that journey? I'd say first, own your autism. There's nothing wrong with it. Be proud. Um, don't be ashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And start just reading books or watching videos about other women on the spectrum because for me that was very comforting to know that there was other people like me join a community online of other autistic adults so that you can have people who understand what you're going through and you can bounce you know ideas or concerns off of them you could vent to them because they'll literally know <laughs> what you're going through and again that's a very validating feeling but i'd say i know it can seem scary but in the end, it's a good thing because now you're able to know how your brain works and you can thus keep yourself out of situations that could be damaging to you. And I always like to say, like, you're the same person you were before. You know, I'm the same Olivia I was before I was diagnosed. If you were diagnosed, you're the same person you were. If your child was diagnosed with the same child they were before, you just now have the knowledge and the tools to help you or your child live a better, happier, less anxious life. And uh, yeah, I think just education, educate yourself, learn what you know, your triggers are for meltdowns and what you don't like and, and do like, and don't be afraid to say no. I was always so bad at saying no to things before I was autistic. And when I was diagnosed, and this is going to sound kind of bad because I feel like I have an excuse now, um, kind of, because before I didn't understand, like, why did I not want to go out with my friends? I would lie. I would say, oh, something came up or I don't feel well. And now I can just be like, hey, you know, my brain's a little tired. I'm not feeling it tonight. And if your friends are, are great people, they'll, of course, understand. And so, yeah, just say, stick up for yourself because now now you understand why you do things and why certain things are hard for you so make sure you verbalize those things and and don't be afraid to to say like hey i'm autistic i struggle with xyz like maybe i don't want to do that or i need extra time or whatnot and people because they're becoming more aware and more educated they're going to understand and if you have a friend or or even family member that doesn't understand there's nothing wrong with cutting them out of your life because you got to put yourself first and make sure your mental health is a priority. And if, you know, that person's not understanding or just don't care, you know, that's, that's not good for you. So put yourself first, learn about yourself and yeah, don't be ashamed. How can people learn more about you? So I have a website, it's oliviahops.com and you can go there and I, I list my story on there and I put all my links to my YouTube videos and my Instagram and then you can learn all about the courses and coaching that I offer as well. But I'd say, yeah, go check out my YouTube videos if you really want to get to know me because I have a, a good amount of those up on my channel now and they're just funny little short videos that hopefully are educational as well. Yeah. Well, they're very engaging. I think you do a really good job with them. Thank you. So I'll be sure to put those links in our show notes so people can find you. Okay. Awesome. All right, Olivia. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I think it's really exciting what you're doing for the community and to spread awareness. Thank you. So that younger girls can get the support that they need sooner than later. 
Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much again for having me. This has been really fun. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. With more awareness of how autism might present differently for females, young autistic girls can get the right support at an early age. Like Olivia, are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.